God, I thank you so much that we can get together like this, that we can study your word. We ask that you teach us some stuff today or remind us of some things we may already know. Uh, give me your words. We ask that we use this time for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. So we, uh, we started like five weeks ago a five-week series called Life and Love, where we're looking at relationships and dating and men and women and all that kind of stuff. And uh, we did that for three weeks. We talked about what the Bible says about men uh, one week. We talked about what the Bible says about women another week. Then we talked about what the Bible says about dating or what we can learn from the Bible to apply to dating. And then we had a week for Joshua Team Sunday, uh, and then we had Easter Sunday, and now we're back. And today, uh, we are going to talk about marriage. The, uh, I may have used... How many of you have actually seen Princess Bride? There was a time, I've been a youth pastor so long, there was a time where everybody's hand would have been up. And I'm going to have to go ahead and tell all of you, if you remember nothing from today, go home and tell your parents we need to watch Princess Bride uh, because it's amazing. Okay? Yes, Storm the Castle. Uh, So here's the deal. We're going to talk about marriage today. And we're going to talk about what the Bible has to say about marriage. And some of you are uh, thinking right now, McNutt, uh, I am in no danger of getting married anytime soon. Like, this is just crazy. I don't need to be listening to this. This is not my jam. Uh, And here's what I say to that. Hopefully that's accurate. Let's not be getting married anytime soon. uh, But... But here's what, here's what I have noticed, right, is when we look around at our culture, we see a lot of uh, challenging things when it comes to marriage, right? That, and, and it's weird because I'm a pastor, and I, I perform weddings sometime. Keep that in mind. Uh, someday, long time from now. But, but every time I've done a wedding, uh, when the, that couple stands there up in front of everybody and they give their vows together, they're so excited and, and the, 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 the bride comes in white, and everybody stands up, and, and the groom cries a little bit. And uh, I did that too, just a little bit, not a lot, just a little bit. Uh, but everybody was looking at Heather, so they didn't see it. And, uh, and the two of them stand there. Here's what none of them are ever thinking, is uh, there's like a 50% chance we're going to end uh, in divorce and hating each other and all this stuff, right? Like, nobody, nobody goes into marriage expecting that, and yet... When we look at, like, the national statistics, uh, the, the rate of divorce and relationships ending in the U.S. has doubled since the 60s, right? That, that these days it's more like 40 to 50 percent of new marriages are probably going to end in divorce. And uh, some of us know that personally, right? Like, I grew up in a family that from the outside everybody thought things were perfect, and yet, even when I was 10 years old, I remember one time hiding in the backyard and crying and just wondering, like, I do not understand why my mom will not leave this guy, right? Like, it was just such an unhealthy secret dynamic going on in our house. And when she finally did leave him, after they had been married for like 39 years, and you don't usually expect a Baptist pastor to say this, but I was really proud of my mom because it was an unhealthy thing. But, but here's what's What's weird is even in that, where I was like an adult, and I was like, she's making the right decision, 
I still, I remember about a year later talking to Heather, just being like, man, I think I was depressed for the last year and didn't even realize it, right? Like, when your parents get divorced, it doesn't get easier when you're older. It just hits you in different ways. Like, I thought I was being strong and helpful for and And so why am I saying all that? To bum everyone out? No, I'm, I'm just trying to acknowledge a little bit of all of our experience is not necessarily the ideal that God is calling us to in the Bible, right? That when I read some of the passages today, there is a part of me that is sad because I didn't see that happen in my parents' relationship. It sat last night, had nothing to do with this. I was talking to Heather, and, and Heather and I are at this age now where a lot of our friends from college, it's weird, we'll pop on Facebook, and like one of my friends, he was a groomsman in our wedding, and I was a groomsman in his wedding, and a, a few months ago, he pops on Facebook, and he's never like on social media, and he's raving about his new fiance. And I'm like, what happened? What happened to the relationship I stood in a wet up in front of everybody with? Right? So why am I saying all this? Why am I beating this drum? I think there's something wrong with the way our culture views marriage and relationships that is feeding into this problem of so many relationships breaking down, right? And it doesn't just impact the two people that the relationship breaks down. It impacts all of the people connected to them and around them. And what I want to suggest today is that if you start now thinking about what the Bible says about marriage and prioritizing God's view of marriage and what God calls us to, you are going to increase the chance, because someday most of you are probably going to get married someday, statistically speaking. I know. Uh, I almost made like a joke, even so-and-so, but I'm not going to do that to any of you. Because uh, I told Mike I wasn't going to pick on him anymore. It's like <laughs> and here's, here's the thing. If you start prioritizing how you view God, how you view relationships, how you view... Uh, what God says about marriage versus what the world says now, you are setting yourself up for a lot more potential success later. So, here's what I want to kick off with. There's two big picture things I want to talk about, and you can kind of see them on, on the front of your paper. You're going to see the first one. Now, I want to look at the two uh, big things that we can think about with marriage, and the first is the purpose of marriage. What is the purpose of marriage? Right? Why do we, why do we get married? Is it, is it because we're aerial, we're swimming around, we just really wish we had legs so we could be with that Prince Charming? Have a, now, the, um, although that's a wonderful movie and I'm super curious about the live action one, uh, let's look at what Genesis says about it. In Genesis chapter 2, sorry, in verse 18, it says, Then the Lord God said, It's not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper who is just right for him. So the Lord God formed from the ground all the wild animals and all the birds of the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And the man chose a name for each one. Adam named all the animals. Uh, he gave names to all the livestock, all the birds of the sky, all the wild animals. But still there was no helper just right for him. Adam's looking at all the animals and he's going, nope, I'm not marrying any of these. Uh, so the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. 
While the man slept, <coughs> the Lord God took out one of the man's ribs and closed up the opening. Now, I don't want to go too far with this, right? Uh, middle schoolers, I explained this to you guys a couple weeks ago on a Wednesday night, right? But that uh, for centuries, people thought this ancient word that gets translated rib here in, the, in Genesis meant rib. They didn't really know what it meant. And in the last century, we discovered what it actually means. But because of tradition, people just keep saying rib. But what it actually means is side, right? That, that what God is actually kind of describing is, is uh, that he took Adam, knocked him out, uh, and, and like split him in half. And, and rebuilt Adam out of one half and built Eve out of the other half. That Eve wasn't like, ah, it's so cute. She gets like the extra rib that 5% of people have. No. That, that she was like, boom, half and half, boom, right? And, and even uh, when it talks about uh, in Genesis calling Eve helper, every other place in the Old Testament that that word for helper is used, because sometimes we hear helper and we're like, oh, that's so cute, right? Like Noah used to be daddy's little helper when he was little, and now he's mostly just a pain in the butt. And <laughs> he's nodding. He's like, yeah, I do what I do. Uh, that word that God uses for helper for Eve everywhere else in the Bible refers to God. God is helper, right? So, so it's not like this cute little word. And so you get like a different feel of, this is just some like cute little helper man ever. No, this is somebody, half of Adam, half of Eve, uh, this helper that uh, is on the same, like up there, uh, almost the size of God. And so then the Lord God made a woman from the side of Adam, and he brought her to the man. At last, the man exclaimed, this one is bone from my bone, flesh from my flesh. She will be called woman because she was taken from man. This explains why, <coughs> excuse me, a man leaves his father and mother, is joined to his wife in marriage, and the two are united into one. Now the man and his wife were both naked, but they felt no shame. We're not going to talk about that too much today. That's next week. So breathe a little easier, right? No nakedness today. Uh, who just whistled? I don't want to know. Purpose of marriage. Marriage demonstrates God's image. And some of you are like, what are you talking about? See, here's what's fascinating to me. Is in Genesis 1, when the author talks about God creating humanity, does any, do any of you remember what God says that humanity is created in the image of? It's created in the image of God. I, I like, had it up there too. The, uh, in fact, God keeps saying it over and over in Genesis 1. He's like, we're going to create them in my image. In my image, they're created because they're in my image. It's like, it's like get the point. Humanity is created in God's image. And here's what I think is uh, sometimes dangerous is overstating it, but sometimes we, you know, the Bible tends to use male pronouns to describe God, right? That he is this, he is that. And, uh, and that's good, but God is really more than a gender, right? That there are attributes of God that in the ancient languages are very clearly described as feminine attributes, and there are attributes that are very clearly in the ancient language described as masculine uh, attributes. 
And what I think is fascinating is what that tells me is that God has created all of us in his image. And I reflect some of the image of God. And Heather reflects some of the image of God. And so when, when we read in that Genesis with the two become one, that there is a glimpse in marriage between these two people becoming one of God's image, a fuller glimpse of God's image, because God isn't just masculine attributes, that he's also feminine attributes. And so marriage demonstrates some of God's image. In Ephesians 5.31, so you should have written God's image on that first villain. Now we're going to check out the second one. As the scriptures say, a man <coughs> leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. This is a great mystery, but it is an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. Here's what I think is so fascinating about this. In Ephesians Paul is writing about Christ's love for the church. And he compares it to marriage. In fact, he says that the point of marriage, why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife and the two are united into one and they're reflecting God's image. He goes, this is a great mystery, this whole process, but it's an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. What Paul is saying is that marriage in its ideal form, right? Not the form that had me crying in the backyard when I was 10 years old, right? But that marriage the way God intends it to be, that kind of love and commitment and everything going on there, Paul is saying that the reason God created that is so that after thousands of years of us seeing marriage and having it so ingrained in us culturally that when God says, hey, I love you, the way a spouse loves their spouse, we go, oh. Right? Because even though we've seen imperfect examples of it, deep down we get how it's supposed to be. Right? It's that part of us that sees like the two geese that stay together for their whole life, the monogamous geese, and we're like, oh, that's so beautiful. Right? Because there's a part of us that like goes, oh, that commitment, that kind of, that's great. And and what Paul is saying is that part of the purpose of marriage is to demonstrate God's love. That when we're following God, when we're honoring God, when we're pursuing life and loving our spouse the way God intends us to do, the rest of the world can look at it and go, that's a picture of what God's love is supposed to be. You see what I'm saying? And we don't all do it perfectly, but man, when we see it, we're like, okay, there's, there's something supernatural going on there. There's something beautiful going on there. So the purpose of marriage, two purposes. Image of God and God's love is demonstrated through it. In fact, that's part of why, uh, just as an aside, well, apparently I didn't put a slide of that passage. In 2 Corinthians 6, 14 and 15, it says, don't team up with those for unbelievers, how can righteousness be a partner with wickedness? How can light live with darkness? What harmony can there be between Christ and the devil? How can a believer be a partner with an unbeliever? When God says we shouldn't marry someone who is not a Christian, he's not doing it to be mean, right? He's not being like, ah, I don't like those people. 
God's going, look, if the purpose is to demonstrate God's love and to reflect God's image, your best chance at achieving that is being connected to someone, being tied to someone, being united to someone who shares that same goal. How are you supposed to reflect God's love if you're married to someone who doesn't believe it? Right? And when you're dating, it might seem fun, and it's like, oh, it's so good. But eventually, it does create conflict <coughs> when you don't share the same belief system. Let's flip to the second half of what I want to talk about today. Love in marriage. What does love look like in marriage? And uh, here's why I think this is important to talk about, right? Because, because I said, like, the purpose of marriage is to reflect God's love, but how do we know what exactly that is? And I think the Bible gives us some, actually, some pretty big clues. One of the things that I find so fa fascinating about ancient Hebrew, <coughs> I really love coughing every third sentence. I don't have COVID. Uh, we'll just be clear about that right now. I'm 92% sure. The uh, <laughs> charity just went like, what about the other 8% McNutt? Uh, in the English language, we have one word for love, right? Yeah, love. Thank you, Trevor, helping me out there. Uh, we have one word for love, right? Like, I love burritos. Uh, it, it's so exciting that several of my sons have worked at El Diablo now because they hooked me up with free burritos. And I love that. I love burritos. I also, I also love Heather. And does it feel kind of weird to anyone else that I use the same word to describe my affection for burritos? And the woman I have sworn to spend my entire life with, Max, is okay with it. He's like, burritos are that good, dude. You love Fortnite. We're not just looking for all sorts of ideas of what we love. What? A door? Okay, well, yeah, we do have other words like that. That's true, that's true. All right. But I'm going to stick to my point here. The, uh, right, that we kind of use that same word in a lot of different ways. And we do have other words, but we do kind of use love across the way. Here's what I love about the ancient Hebrew is they actually had a ton of different words for different types of love that they would use in different situations. There was like a word for godly love. There was a word for brotherly love, phileo. That's where the word Philadelphia came from. Some of you were like, oh. Today, I want to visit the book of Song of Solomon. Some of you are like, whoa. No, you said we weren't going to talk about anything today. I lied. No, just kidding. We're not going to get graphic today. <coughs> but here's what I do find fascinating about the book of so a Song of Songs, Song of Solomon. It is a very graphic book, uh, describing a lot of loving going on between a husband and a wife, uh, and between a wife and a husband, because it's from both their perspectives. Different parts are written from man, some from the woman. That's not what I want to talk about today. What I find fascinating is there's three different words for love used in Song of Songs, Song of Solomon. There's three different words used. And I think we can learn something from that. 
The first, and there's fill-ins on the back of your paper. The first, this is the ancient Hebrew, uh, which would sound like, if we were to pronounce it, Raya. Raya, love. Friendship, love. In Song of Songs, verse 4-7, chapter 4-7, it says, You are altogether beautiful, my love. There is no flaw in you. And what's fascinating is the word here for my love is this ancient Hebrew word, raya, which means friendship, love. Friendship, love. Now, here's why I think this is a big deal. Here's why I think a friendship type of love is super critical in marriage. Uh, loneliness is a huge issue in our culture. I think it's part of what's affecting so many relationships too, right? That when we do surveys, more and more people every year are saying they feel lonely, which feeds into depression, which feeds into a lot of unhealthy activities that, that I'm sure many of us, I certainly can, think of times in my life where I made poor decisions because in the moment I was feeling lonely and I was trying to make myself feel better. And we can address loneliness <coughs> through a lot of different ways. Some people try to distract from the feeling by hanging out with the wrong types of people or keeping themselves moving all the time. They're just going to constantly have noise so that there's never moments where they're just kind of alone with their thoughts to realize how they actually feel. Some people try to distract themselves from the feelings through drugs or alcohol because it kind of numbs it for a little while but it always comes back worse later. Some people try to fill that need through looking at pornography or inappropriate things or the types of music they listen to. There's a lot of different ways that are unhealthy that we can address loneliness or the feelings of loneliness that we struggle with. And what God is saying is that a lot of those things are just, they're not healthy. That's not the way he has designed us to meet that need. In fact, uh, some of you may remember when God was creating everything, right, in Genesis, over and over, he's like, he created this and it was good. He created this and it was good. He created this and it was good. What's the first thing that he said was not good? Not, well, it wasn't that he was saying humans were not good, but what did he say about humans was not good? That they were alone, right? The first thing that he said was not good was that Adam was alone that there's something about the way he designed us that longs for friendship, that longs for connection, that longs for a deep relationship with others, primarily with God, but also through others. And one of the critical things that we see in marriage, right, that in this, the way God designed it to be, this intense commitment, is that in marriage we're called to have a friendship love. That it shouldn't just be all romance, but that there should also be this deep friendship connection that God wants to see in marriage. That God has designed it to provide the lifetime friendship that we long for. And it's not always easy, right? Because how many of you would say there have been moments in your life about if you have brothers or sisters, where you're like, I love my brother, but I do not like them, right? Yeah, lots of hands. And some of you are not putting your hands up because you're liars or you have sisters. And, you know, there have been moments where you love your sister, but you don't like them, right? Now, we kind of get what I mean by that, that we can love someone but not like them. 
that sometimes that happens in marriage too, right? It's not the perfect story that we see in movies. That's why usually movies end when they start the happily ever after and they don't show all the drama that comes after. But we need to work at the friendship love. That, that even as we're pursuing it, so we pray to God, we ask God, help me to have this raya kind of love. Let's go to the second love. Dude. I, I, because I said I wasn't going to be graphic today, I put intimacy love. Uh, another way to phrase that would be get it on love. Or... Uh, <laughs> Physical love. Uh, here's the deal. We're not going to go too far with this one today. We're going to talk about that next week. Here's your spoiler alert. But here's what I do want to say. Song of Songs 410 says, Your love, your dude, delights me, my treasure, my bride. Your love is better than wine, your perfume, more fragrant than spices. <laughs> yeah, right? Read the Bible, man. It is not all PG. There's some stuff in there. Uh, here's what I want to do. Here's what I do want to say. Here's what I do want to say, because I don't want to go too far with this, because we are going to talk about this next week. Only to mention that when the Bible talks about love and marriage, this is one of the types of love there. And the reason for that, besides the fact that there's a part of us that desires that kind of physical connection with another person, Part of the reason this is important in marriage is because that connection creates closeness. It builds intimacy between two people. It builds trust. That it's a way that two people can really celebrate their love. That, that that's why part of the thing I warn people about being too physical before they're married to someone that they're not having that lifelong commitment with is that Physical intimacy with someone you're not married to can build a false sense of closeness, that you think there's more of a connection there than there really is, which when that separation happens, creates so much more pain. Like I said, we're going to talk about that next week. God intends this to be inside a marriage. That's what he created it for, for people to enjoy and to appreciate in marriage. The third type of love, that I do want to talk about today is uh, ahava, aha, ahava love, commitment love. Yeah, we're all saying it together, ahava. We're going to walk out of here. Some of you are going to walk out of here with the wrong Hebrew word. You're going to be like, dude. <laughs> uh, the ones that are, uh, have clean minds are going to be like, I want to work on my ahava. He escorts me to the banquet hall. It's obvious how much he loves me. How much he ahava me. That, that in this verse, when they're talking about love, they're going, man, this person has so much commitment to me. That I see their love through the commitment they have to me. Here's what I think is so important about ahava love. I was talking about before how sometimes our feelings don't match up with the love that we know we have for someone, that sometimes our feelings are like, ah, this person, right? Like Heather and I have been married 22 years. Uh, yeah, whoa, we're so old. Uh, and there have been moments 
where she has not liked me very much. I'm a wonderful person. I don't understand it. Uh, I don't know why that's so funny. The, uh, there have been moments where I have not liked her so much, right? But the ahava love, the commitment love, gets us through those moments where we can push through, where we can get back together, where we can work on the relationship and get back to a spot where we're feeling the raya love, right? The friendship love. That we're reconnected. Here's why this is so important, because our culture says so much of like, you just need to be happy. And if it's not working, walk away and find something that does work. And sometimes we think in the moment that walking away will make things better. And there are some situations where walking away is right, right? Like there were some abusive, unhealthy things between my dad towards my mom. And that's why in that situation, I was like, no, this is good for her to walk away. Like he has broken the marriage vows. There is something unhealthy and not good there. But sometimes there's situations where we get upset at each other and it's not something that needs to be something we walk away from. And this is where ahava becomes so important. Commitment love. A commitment love is where you love someone so much that even though in the moment you don't really like them, like your brother or sister, but deep down you know like, man, we're going to work this out. Like, I don't like them today, but we're going to figure this out. We're going to get to a point where we're feeling that love, we're feeling what we know is going on in our heart. So this is why, to kind of wrap up, as we think about what the Bible says about love and marriage, these three types of love that we see in the Song of Songs are so critical to marriage. And you go, why? Because how much, if you really think about it, these are all things you want to see in a long-term relationship. That a marriage that has lots of commitment but no friendship is not going to be very joyful, is it? Right? Like it's just more of enduring something than actually enjoying it. Or a marriage that has lots of dough and even lots of friendship, but not much commitment, means it could end very easily and quickly. Right? Do you see how, do you how, see how in God's equation, each of these things are so important to be present in a marriage? So this is what I want to challenge you guys to do. This is why I made sure I had a handout today. Is save this handout. And be, think of it, stick it in your Bible, stick it somewhere in your room. Uh, probably no one's going to find it. If they do, they're going to be like, what's this preoccupation with dude love? But there's other loves on there too. Uh, Hold on to it and be thinking about it so in the future you can keep praying to God, God, I want to be the type of person that prioritizes each of these loves. I want to be the type of person that reflects your image. I want to be the type of person that reflects your love in my relationships. And I think when we pursue those things, all those bad statistics I said before, that's part of the difference in landing on the good half of those statistics, that you set yourselves up for a far greater chance of having the type of relationship and long-term commitment that God wants for you. Let's pray.
Heavenly Father, I thank you so much that you created marriage. I thank you that we can come here and we can talk about it. And God, I ask that you'd help each of us to learn from this as we grow, whether we're currently married now, and adults in the room, or, or young people that that feels like something so far away, that you would help each of us to be the type of people that reflect your image and reflect all of your love. In Jesus' name, amen.